Last week, we started a new series. That series was called All the Feels, or should I say is called All the Feels. It's a series that I have thought about for about a month or two as things kind of began to get a little crazy. It's honestly a series that I wanted to talk about because I wanted to dive into feeling and understanding the emotions that I was experiencing during this. Because as I looked around and I talked to other people, I began to see that I wasn't the only person who was experiencing these interesting emotions, these very human realities of sadness and anger. I I wondered what we do about things like that and what that looks like. See, as I began to peel back the layers on this, I began to look a little deeper into it, began to have a lot of conversations, began to read and research and look at articles and see things that other people were talking about and how this, this is something that all of us seem to experience. It, it pointed out to something. It pointed out to the reality that this year has brought us crisis. It, it's brought us upheaval. This year has brought us an uncertainty. And in many ways, ways that none of us have ever experienced before. If you think about it, this has really been a jarring 14 weeks. And by jarring, I mean that everything seemed to be going along as life did. We were making the plans that we were always making. We were looking ahead. We were paying for vacations. We were thinking about places we were going to go. We were thinking about the sports that we were going to watch or do or participate in. We were thinking about cookouts. We were planning outdoor adventures. We were looking at life and thinking that things were just going to move forward like they always had. News began to pop up of this this virus that began to, to attack our world. And it seemed far off. It seemed like something that wouldn't hit us. In many ways, we'd heard about things like this before and we'd made some precautions, but our lives weren't really too affected by those things. And all of a sudden, this showed up, and everything began to look different. And 14 weeks ago, everything shifted. And it started with empty streets and empty office buildings, empty schools. And 14 weeks later, well, the conversation has shifted to one of reopening things back up. The more that we read and the more we hear, I think the more questions than answers many of us have about what we're going to experience over the next few months, maybe into the next year, and what that looks like and how things change. One of the phrases that they're using or that people are using in this time is talking about this idea of a new normal. But even that phrase elicits this plethora of uh, of mental pictures of uncertainty. It elicits this emotional response. For some people, this idea of new normal isn't very attractive. So our bodies and our minds have responded to this reality, a reality that none of us have fully comprehended with emotions like anxiety and emotions like sadness and anger. Now, some people call what we're experiencing a roller coaster. Others have thought about it like an unruly extension cord that you you pull out of the shed and you begin to tug on and try to unwrap and unwind and figure out where the ends are, 
where does here start and where is there? And in the middle, you have this tangled up mess. That's kind of what our lives look like. We started here and we're going to here, but in the middle is this just absolute mess. And we're trying to untangle it and figure it out and understand it. And it just can't seem to come apart. For others, the emotions have felt like distinct times. Things have set us off that have set us into a place of anger. For others, a moment happened that caused us to cry or feel some sort of sadness. What we're experiencing is grief. David Kessler, the world's most foremost expert on grief, explained in an interview recently when he said this. He said, we're feeling a number of different griefs. We feel the world has changed, and it has. We know this is temporary, but it doesn't feel that way, and we realize that things will be different. The loss of normalcy, the fear of economic toll, the loss of connection, this is hitting us, and we're grieving. Collectively, we are not used to this kind of collective grief in the air. Now, I'm going to go back, and I want to read that quote again. But I want to talk about it in the context of what we're experiencing today. Because today is just a microcosm of the macro experience of our lives. None of us expected to be participating in church online. The last thing, if you would have told me last year that at this time that I would be preaching to a camera and that somewhere on the other end would be the people who I love to hang out with, the people I love to worship with, the people that have been a part of our church, the people who have helped and set up and tear down, who sing with us, people that I can look at and talk to as I preach, that that would be taken away. And instead, my experience would be a camera with a little red light reminding me that I'm talking to somebody. I miss it. I miss the connection of church. I know you do too. I miss hearing our band. I miss worshiping together. I miss standing at the doors and and waving at people as they come in. And I don't know when that's going to come back. We don't know what this is going to look like. We've continued to say that what we have to ask in this time is what does love compel us to do? How do we love others and love God in this time? And if loving God or loving others teaches us to love God, how do we best love others in a time that still continues to be so incredibly dangerous for so many people? See, we have more questions than we have answers, and that leads us to grief. As someone who likes to control things, as someone who likes to know the plan, this has been hard for me. And the anxiety and the anger that I've been feeling, I found it pop up in all of these different places, and I've said, what do I do about this? How do I figure this out? How do I get control of this thing? See, here's, here's what I'm starting to see. L- listen to this quote again. It says, we're feeling a number of different griefs. We feel the world has changed. We know this is temporary, but it doesn't feel that way. And we realize that things will be different. Listen to those phrases. We know this is temporary, 
but it doesn't feel that way. So there's some anxiety, there's some tension. And we realize that things will be different. So we know things aren't going to go back to what was normal for us. And that's hard for most of us to take. So he says the loss of normalcy, the fear of economic toll, the loss of connection. So here's the fears that we have about these different things happening now and happening in the future. He says, this is hitting us and we're grieving. Collectively, we're grieving. We're not used to this kind of collective grief in the air. We're not used to something being national and worldwide, something hitting so many people at one time, so many different people experiencing the same thing. Now, some people simply want to deny this fact. They want to ignore that it's happening. They, they want to move on with their lives. They're afraid to lean into this discussion for a multitude of reasons. And maybe you're there. Maybe this is what you say sometimes. Maybe you say, I wish we could just move on. I wish it could just be over. I wish we could just forget about this. And we talked about this a little bit last week about denying the emotions that we feel. Denying that something is happening because we we just don't want to feel it. We don't want to deal with it. I, I wrote this down that some people just don't like to talk about their emotions. Some of us don't want to talk about the anger we're feeling. Some of us don't want to talk about what we're experiencing, the kind of sadness For others, this conversation is a pause to their desire to fast forward out of this moment. If I stop and talk about it, I'm pausing it and I'm not allowing things to move forward in my life is what some people think. For others, and this is the one I really want to get us into, is the issue of faith. See, many well-meaning people have cut off the grieving process with a misunderstanding of what trust in God looks like. People who can't seem to get suffering to line up with their understanding of God tempt themselves and others to ignore the emotion of grief. And we talked about this last week, that people who just simply want us to ignore things, they they can't seem to get suffering. They can't seem to get this stuff to line up with how they see God. So what they do is they tempt themselves and they tempt others to simply ignore this. And they're well-meaning but they say things like, just get over it. Just, just, it's, don't worry about it. You know, some people even ask the question, do you really have faith in God if you're worried? And what we discovered last week is this approach, this way of looking at things, this cutting off of our grieving process is wrong. This is what I said last week, and this is what I wrote down in my notes again this week. The danger in running from grief is that it actually hinders our relationship with God, with others, and with ourselves. Listen to that again. The danger in running from grief is that it can actually hinder us in our relationship with God, with others, and with ourselves. See, we have to work to feel our emotions, to name them, to experience them, to know that we have a heavenly Father who not only listens to us, but also sits with us amid our grief. Leaning into our understanding of our emotions leads us towards a stronger faith, not away from it. Listen to that again. Leaning into understanding our emotions. So leaning into feeling, experiencing, and understanding our emotions leads us towards a stronger faith, not a weaker one. So during this sermon series, We're exploring the intersection of our emotions and our faith. Over the next few weeks, we're looking at stories from Scripture 
that help us to see this truth that we need to lean into these emotions, that we need to feel them, and that as we do, and as we understand them, as we untangle this mess, our faith can actually grow through that. Now, one of these stories that we find is found in the Gospel of John. It's John chapter 11. Let's look at that together. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, when we look at the life of Jesus, this relationship that Jesus had with Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus is one of the more interesting relationships that we see that Jesus had. In the stories involving them, we can easily see ourselves in the emotions that we experience in our lives. Now, one way that I want you to see this is that there's another story about these two sisters. They, they were entertaining Jesus and some other people with a meal at their house. But as the evening progressed, Martha began to get upset with her sister Mary because as she was preparing the food and setting up the table and doing all the work, her sister Mary was just hanging out with Jesus, talking to him and listening to him. And some of us understand what that feels like. She wasn't interested in doing the work of hosting. And you can literally see yourself in a story like that. One sister who's trying to get things ready, who's trying to prepare, who's trying to do the right thing as a host, and the slacker who's hanging out just listening to Jesus, just talking, ignoring all of the responsibilities. And in that story, we find human emotion. We find experience. We see friendship and sisterhood. We see the dynamics of a family. And then it's kind of interesting to think about that we also see some dynamics of faith taking place there. And Jesus talked about that. But what I want us to see is that there was a unique humanness here. In the stories of Mary and Martha, we see some of our humanity coming out in a way that we may not see in other places in Scripture. So I want to look at another story. I want to continue this story. See, in this story about their sick brother Lazarus, we experience the humanness of these characters in another way. We see the intersection of their faith, their humanity, and their emotions. And this time, the backdrop isn't a meal. It's the sickness of their brother. And that sickness leads to grief. And in that grief, we experience in some of these characters, in their response to the actions of Jesus, something that we see within ourselves and something that we can learn. So let's look again, John 11, four through seven. Listen to this. It says, when he heard this, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, when he got word, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now, I find verse 6 absolutely fascinating. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And sometimes I feel like that so doesn't really fit in there as much as maybe the word, but. 
Jesus didn't stop what he was doing. He didn't gather his things. He didn't head to their home. He waited two more days. But when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed. Now, there's some conversation that happens in the next few verses between Jesus and his disciples. And I want to come back to that at the end of the sermon to show you something. But for now, what I want to do is I want to shift forward in the story a couple days when Jesus finally arrives. And on his arrival, Jesus faced a grieving family, experiencing all the emotions that come with grief, including anger. Because Lazarus was no longer sick, Lazarus was dead. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her brother, or said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said. And he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now listen to this. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, if you look closer at this, you see something. Mary and Martha had the same response to Jesus. If he had been there, Lazarus would not have died. Mary and Martha, two different occasions, Express the same thing to Jesus. If you had been here, our brother would not have died. Now, in that response, you hear what we may experience in grief as bargaining. And we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. If you had been here, this would have happened. If we had done this, maybe this had taken place. If I do this, maybe this would happen instead, right? But don't you also hear the emotion of anger? Now, we don't have the experience of the inflection of the words. We, we don't have an audio recording to tell us exactly how they said these things. But what we do know is human experience. And when you read that, you can't help but put some inflection on it yourselves, my brother died. You weren't here. You weren't here when I needed you. You weren't here to save him. You weren't here to grieve with me. You weren't here if you had been here. See, I think Mary and Martha were angry. 
When they sent word to Jesus, Lazarus was sick, and now he was dead. Jesus was only two miles away when this whole thing started. I think that's such a fascinating reference point that they put in this story. He was two miles away. Yet Lazarus was in the tomb for four days when Jesus finally showed up. And I think the author of the story wants us to experience that tension. I think the author of the story wants us to feel that reality. Now, the rest of the story gives theological detail about the work of Jesus, the power of his healing, the meaning of his resurrection. And those things matter. We've talked about those things at some different points and some different sermons. But today, I want us to focus on the emotions of the characters in the story and what that means for us. Because see, it's not just the emotions of the sisters that we learn from. It's not just the emotions of Mary and Martha and the anger that we can hear in their voices. There are other emotions happening. There's other anger taking place. But to understand and see that and see how that applies to us and what we can learn from it, we have to back up in the story. So go with back with me. John chapter 11. Listen to the beginning of this again. We're going to start in verse 3 now. Listen to this. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when you heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now, now listen what happens next. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back? Jesus answers, and we're trying to understand what he means here and what this is saying, but but let's continue listening to this. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going there to wake him up. Now, I think they're still living with their question. They're still trying to understand what Jesus is talking about, but I think in a lot of ways, they're still looking for him to answer, and and Jesus doesn't answer them directly. Listen to that again. So a short while ago, you were there. They tried to kill you, and you want to go back to that place. They said, listen, he's sick, and if he's asleep, he'll get better. Now listen to what it says in 13. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so you may believe, but let us go to him. Now that question is still hanging in their minds. A question of an uncertain future, a question about what is ahead for them. So look at verse 16. Then Thomas also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now you may wonder what this conversation has to do with Mary and Martha, but it's so critical for us because see, in this conversation, we see another experience of grief. Thomas and these disciples 
are experiencing a form of anticipatory grief. Now, it may not look like what we're experiencing, but there is something that we share with them. See, the future looks uncertain. The future is afraid. And they don't want to face that uncertainty in the same way that we don't want to face the uncertainty in front of us. We want more answers than we have questions, but the problem is that we have more questions than we have answers. And that leaves us with anxiety. It leaves us with a a tension about the future. And this is what they're experiencing this in the reality of the moment. Now listen, let's go back to what David Kessler has to say about grief. He said this about anticipatory grief. Anticipation heightens the senses, enhances birthdays, holiday celebrations, vacations. We get that. When you think about anticipation, it gets us excited about an upcoming birthday. It excites us about holidays. It excites us about vacations, the kind of things that we were planning before all of this happened. Thinking about the excitement of those things, anticipating them coming, then they get taken away. They get replaced with a totally different kind of anticipation. He goes on, he says, unfortunately, anticipation can also magnify the possibility or reality of a loss. As far as we know, we are the only species aware of the inevitability of our own death. Knowing that we and all of our loved ones will die someone someday creates anxiety. Now that's anticipatory grief that has to do with death, but it also has to do with the loss of anything in our lives. See, he says this, anticipatory grief is the beginning of the end in our minds. We now operate in two worlds. The safe world that we are used to, the safe world that includes the planning, the safe world that includes the good anticipation. Then he says this, we operate in two worlds, that world and the unsafe world of the future, of uncertainty, of things that were taken away, wondering if we're going to get them back. See, this uncertainty is why some of us hate the phrase new normal. New normal means losing something. And the key to dealing with this is found in the statement by Thomas. Listen again what he says. Then Thomas said, let us also go that we may die with him. I've always been surprised that John included this piece of dialogue. Of of all the things that were said, (laughs) it's this statement Dripping with sarcasm and dripping with anger. It's, it's the one that survives. Now, there's no response from Jesus because, listen, it wasn't said to Jesus. It was said to the other disciples. That's what helps me understand that this is a sarcasm, that this is anger. Because if he really was saying it in a way like, let us go with you. Let's go with you to experience this death that you're leading us towards. If he was saying that in some kind of righteous position, some kind of self-righteous way, he would have made sure that Jesus heard it. But we're given a cue here that this was said to the other disciples. It was said in a way so that Jesus wouldn't hear it, which helps us see that it's dripping with something totally different. And I think there's a lesson in this, particularly when you think about Mary and Martha. See, listen to this. Here's how I wrote this down. This is how I began to think about this. See, Thomas held on to his emotion. Rather than give the raw emotion of fear and anger and frustration to God, Thomas held on to it. 
Rather than share it with the one who could heal his heart, Thomas shared it with those around him. Rather than give it to Jesus, he gave it to other people. Rather than give it to the one who could heal him, he gave it to others. See, he not only showed his lack of faith and trust in Jesus, he invited others to join him in the mishandling of his grief. Let me say that again. He not only showed his lack of faith and trust in Jesus, he invited others to join him in the mishandling of his grief. Being completely honest with how we feel is a way to express our faith. By not hiding away how we really feel, we are trusting the Lord with our hardest and often most tender parts of us. Listen to this. The more honest we are, the more room we give God to work in and through us. The more honest we are, the more room we give God to work in and through us. And this is what we see in Mary and Martha. So go back to the story with me for a second. Look again at what happened in the story as Martha told Mary that Jesus had finally arrived. Listen to this again. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly, went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Mary had every opportunity to confide her emotions with those around her while hiding those emotions from Jesus. She had every, every opportunity to tell the people who were there on time mourning with her to say, listen, here's how I really feel about this. But she didn't. Rather than risk this, she showed these people how to respond to the intersection of grief and faith how to respond to the emotion of anger within our grief. Mary didn't hold on to her emotion and her anger. She didn't express it in snark or bitterness or lashing out at others. She took everything she was feeling and she ran to Jesus. She brought all the emotion, all that raw emotion that she was feeling, and she laid it at the feet of Jesus with burning tears. With clenched up fists, she poured out her heart at the feet of Jesus. Listen to that again. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When normal people go through abnormal events, they tend to act abnormally. Let me read that again. I, I saw this quote and I love it. When normal people go through abnormal events, they tend to act abnormally. And here's what I wonder, how many of us have acted abnormally? How many of us have struggled with anger and lashed out in ways that we wondered, where did that come from? What was that all about? Or how many of us have simply just ignored it? So here's what I want you to hear. Rather than ignore it, we need to learn from it. Instead of ignoring your emotions, particularly your anger, bring it to God. Lay it at his feet. Ask him to meet you in that moment. Trust in his mercy, his grace, and his love. 
And if you do that, that moment will shift from a place of fear and uncertainty to a holy moment of life and healing. If you take that anger that is within your grief and you bring it to the feet of Jesus, you can shift that uncertainty. You can shift that fear. You can shift that disappointment into something that becomes a holy moment of life and healing. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful that today, through this story, we begin to see that we can bring everything we feel before you, God, that we can come, that we can bow at your feet. God, with clenched up fists and burning tears in our eyes, God, we can express the rawest of our emotions. Father, we thank you that you are there to hold us and to heal us. And it's your name that we pray this morning. Amen.